of the Borg. Lower your shields and surrender your ships. We will add your biological and technological distinctiveness to our own. Your culture will adapt to service us. Resistance is futile. Hey, this is Julian from Strange New Pod, and you're listening to Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast. Okay, here we go. I'm excited. Excited to be back for season two. This is Greg, and thank you, everybody, for joining us once again in our season two premiere. Let's get right started, because we have a great show tonight. First, let's meet our regular panelist who is here, who had an amazing Star Trek weekend last week. Let's hear about it. Dan Martin. How you doing? Oh, man, I got to tell you, it was awesome. I went back down to the Neutral Zone Studios and beamed aboard the Starship Enterprise, which has in the past doubled as the Starship Cherokee in The Lost Starship for me. But it was very exciting. Vic Mignogna was there. Chris Dewan was there. A lot of my other friends were there. And uh, it was just a joy. Ray, of course, Ray Tessie was there. You can't have the Neutral Zone without Ray Tessie. And just a fantastic group of people coming through, several groups of people coming through throughout the days. And uh, Alan Ross had uh, karaoke outside, but we also went to a karaoke bar that Friday night. Vic sang, Chris sang, I sang. Uh, We all got up and did something. It was a lot of fun. Just the camaraderie of Star Trek people kindred spirits kindred souls my wife went down with me and we had a grand time and if you get the chance to go to kingsland folks you are going to love all of those fantastic restaurants in that town too absolutely and for those new trekkies who listen to our show because there are some chris Dewan, of course the son of scotty himself james Dewan. okay let's meet our guest because i'm not moderating tonight so our moderator gets an introduction after our guest. You can call her a silent partner of this show. Holly McMiller is here. Welcome back, Holly. Hi, thanks for permitting me back onto the bridge. Great to be chatting with you guys tonight. And of course, I should mention that this was another Holly McMiller-inspired topic. So thank you for that, Holly. And now, ladies and gentlemen, joining us this season... As another co-moderator, you've heard a moderator last season. He's a regular panelist. He's an amazing man, and he is back to moderate this discussion. The one, the only, my idol, Ken Radner. What's up, Ken? Engage. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Greg, for that completely undeserved and lie-filled introduction. I appreciate it to no end. Nor will I live it down, nor will I live up to it. So I think I have myself covered on both ends of that. So I want to welcome everybody to season two, episode one. We made it through the first one, and here we go again on our second adventure. Now, as our start to the season premiere, we're going to go over a subject near and dear to uh, many of our hearts and a subject that we felt was so important 
we weren't even willing to mash it in next year as part of another episode, our Halloween episode, because this deserves in and of itself an entirely different discussion and probably more than one discussion. Tonight on Star Trek, the Undiscovered podcast, we bring you the Borg episode. Yes, definitely a highlight of the series, something that I'm not even sure people realized what a big influence this subject would have over Star Trek in basically about every form that it's had. There's really not an aspect of Star Trek that the Borg have not touched. And it's interesting as seeing their beginnings were, you know, not really that auspicious. I mean, they actually didn't even begin as their initial prototype of what you saw them when you first saw them on the next generation they were meant to be something very different they were meant to have connections to so many other aspects of star trek but what was amazing was that shortly after they would uh, they were included they just sort of took on a life of their own and they just began to become an entire entity entity unto itself uh dan i think you've got something you want to throw in yeah, once they got into Star Trek, they pretty much assimilated everything. As they tend to do. So now the first thing I want to ask, I want to get this straight off everybody so I know how to proceed. Was everybody's first experience with the Borg seeing them on Next Generation? Yes, for me anyway. Yes. Yes for Dan, yes for Greg, and yes for Holly as well. The best, Obviously the best of both worlds. Um, I remember... I mean, I remember sitting in the den of my childhood home, seeing the advertisement, and it was Locutus, of course, the assimilated Captain Picard. And I, it was in the TV guide, and it was something like, what is going to happen? So I remember watching it, too. I was not a regular watcher of The Next Generation. This episode of television obviously goes down as one of the most critical cliffhangers, one of the most shocking cliffhangers and as well as very promoted, I remember a lot of people were watching this because they said it's going to be huge. As a regular watchers of the show, I'm going to wrap up here in a moment, but I do know that the regular next-gen watchers were waiting for them to return because how Q presented them in Q, who, oh, they were going to be back and they were going to be back in a major way. Yeah, that is very apt. And also, it's interesting, appropriate. One thing I did want to ask you, though, just from what you said, so the, did the first time you see them was in the episode best of both worlds or did you see q who first i didn't see q who at that point no i was not a regular next gen walker i mean i'm at this point in the third season so i'm 10 or something i don't know i i i wasn't the star trek watcher then that i am now um i was a star trek i was into star trek but not not so much the next generation so it was one of the episodes it wasn't the episode that hooked me but I mean, you listen to Seth MacFarlane talk about this episode, um, I, and I bring him up because this was an intricate thing that inspired him to create the Orville, obviously next gen. He was a big Star Trek fan his entire life. We're obviously going to talk about the Orville down the line in our sci-fi show, but, you know, he remembers recording it, and he remembers um, playing the tape so much over the summer that he wore it out. And I remember watching this episode. So this was my first experience seeing the Borg 
And man, this they, they were, especially for a 10-year-old kid, they were nightmare fuel, I'll tell you that. All right. Now, um, Holly, I'm interested in your experience. Was it also Q-Who for your first contact, shall we say? Oh, my God, I can't believe I said that. With <laughs> the Borg. Um, I have vague memories of Q-Who, but it was the best of both worlds. That was a long summer wait to figure out what happened if Picard was going to make it through. <laughs> and you're right. Yep, it was nightmare was... fuel inducing. <laughs> I mean, and that was a very interesting mechanic that that pause over that summer had. Mm -hmm. uh, because for those of you that know some of the behind the scenes stuff that was going on that time. It was an actor's strike, wasn't it? Or was it a writer's strike? Anybody aware of that? I think there was some, there was some type of strike going well, on, I think. All the thing, well, maybe there was the or was it just that they the weren't, 80s. they weren't sure apparently, but I've heard conflicting things. Apparently there are many that tell the story. Patrick Stewart, I believe has denied this, but some have told the story that it was Patrick Stewart thinking about leaving not sure whether Picard was going to come back, but this is speculation. I've never actually heard proof of that. I heard it, but Patrick Stewart, I believe, has denied it. I, I, I believe I remember him saying no, but I, but you know, someone as close to the show like Jonathan Frakes could have could have also said this. I do know that Michael Pillar, who wrote the episode. Um, was saying I wanted he wanted to write the late great writer Michael Piller that he wanted to write something that seemed like there is no possible way he repeated it with Voyager by the way at at um with the first season finale with the Kazon stranding that crew well he was inspired by this he said I wanted to literally write a cliffhanger that would make the audience think and even himself to point them into a corner that just seemed unwinnable. And he said, as a writer, you know, he's like, oh, I have time to write the, the, the next part, but I don't know what I'm doing. And, um, you know, and that was the case. And, and it really did seem like this no-win situation. Everybody remembers Riker saying, fire. Everyone remembers the lie. Everyone remembers, I remember being in my den. And this was the seeds. I would say this was the seeds being planted for me to go, wait, maybe next generation is kind of cool. I don't believe in a no-win situation. Right. So that's a great segue to hand it off to Dan. Dan, first time you saw the Borg, like you said, oh, it next was generation. Q who for me, was, yeah. Was it Q he, who? It was Q who. All right. Yeah, because I'm right. I'm probably the oldest one here. And so I was watching Q Not who. by much. Uh, I, 54, and you are... 53 53 yeah so I, I yeah you missed it by that much chief <laughs> but i tell you what i feel younger i feel like i'm in my mid-30s because i drink so much coffee it keeps me going <laughs> but yeah when when q flicked him out there that far away and guinan was freaking out i'm going what is going on with all this stuff it's like oh my gosh who are these guys and you know of course as a as a teenager early 20s type of guy i'm like wait a minute why, why do they have such a swedish name you know i was that you know and then it dawned on me oh cyborg i got it you know but i was a little slow back then yeah i'll i'll match a speedometer with you any day i bet you'd beat me 
All right, and and Greg, you had a, a point yet? You I do. I do want to make a point before you move on. Q Who might have not been the first episode that I saw of the Borg, but I do want to say when I finally did see Q Who on my first Next Generation watch, um, I must say, I don't know how to describe this other than even though it wasn't the first time I saw the Borg, it was, and I knew it was coming, I was still just as full of suspense as when I heard people describe when they first saw these things. So, um, you know, my, my credit to Maurice Hurley um, and the, whoever the director of that episode was, put that in the liner notes, um, it, it was very well done. And a, a legit, I know you couldn't mention it in the Halloween episode because of this, a legit scary Star Trek. That they definitely were. And I'm really glad in certain aspects of Trek that they were represented in, they did choose to represent a certain horror aspect to use them as that sort of a character, which I find when they're not used that way, I feel it robs a little bit of in, intentionally what they're sort of trying to be. Initially, it was said from some of the writers and, and some of the other people working on the show that they initially wanted the Borg to be some kind of insectoid race because the idea was that Insects don't really seem like they're motivated by emotion very much. They have an extremely regimented structure. There are versions of them that are just meant for work, versions that are just meant for fighting, and versions that are just meant to, you know, pro procreate or allow the species to continue. And it was just nuts and bolts of it was just too expensive to create some kind of insectoid type race so they just used that and brought it over to the board and now i completely realize for those of you that don't know which i can't imagine anybody listening to this wouldn't but i just wanted to be real quick and describe what the borg are by this point it's kind of too late but just to give you a basic idea if you're new to the universe if you're new to the series you haven't seen them yet or if you just have a passing knowledge of them and you didn't really know much about them Basically, the Borg were a cybernetic species, quote unquote species. They were actually a pseudo species, being that they weren't one specific race, but however, a race that developed alongside with technology or using technology to enhance themselves got to a certain point where they felt that propagating the race would be more efficient by simply traveling interstellarly and assimilating other cultures and planets into their own pseudo species. And in that sense, making the strengths scientifically, culturally of that species, a part of their own. And that was something that made them a very, very interesting uh, adversary to face, simply because the way that they were presented was that it did not take them very long to learn a solution to almost any type of situation they were in because the species would constantly improve the next individual of the species that came up to present with the same problem. Almost in a sense, like a virus would, you know, propagate and find resistances to different kinds of antibiotics, thereby finding a way to defeat these antibiotics and then becoming more and more deadly and spreading more quickly there was very much that type of analogy to them. So when we first ran into them, 
which was in The Next Generation, the episode Q Who, Q was using the Borg kind of as a way to smack us down a little bit. It had seemed that uh, it was felt that, or at least the Q seemed to feel it. And through this, you begin to realize Picard sort of felt the same way, that Starfleet had become complacent, that they had grown out to a certain uh, an amount of quadrants in the galaxy, and they had not really found anything that didn't challenge them much more than a usual sort of puzzle they would have to solve. There would always be some way they could relate. There would be always some way they could find a common ground. Even with a vastly alien species, they could still find a way of, you know, there's still certain core levels of how certain, you know, species tend to exist or the majority of species tend to exist and require to exist. And they can negotiate on those variables. Whereas the Borg were something completely different. And Q made a specific point of saying they're unlike anything you've ever seen. That, and in a sense, in his torturous, sadistic way, they're interesting, aren't they? You know, in other words, there's not really a way you can reason with them. There's not really a way you can get around what they have to offer. They don't care what you have to offer. If you have something you have that you actually have to offer that's of importance, they're just going to take it and move on. This is what they, you know, this is what they are. So it was very interesting, and you got presented this thing. And then, as great as the episode started with them, you just whipped them right out again. It almost gave you whiplash by the end of the episode. And then you're thinking, what? What the hell was that? Like, what are they? You know, was that just I'm going to spank you a little bit and then send you back, or? What kind of ramifications does it does this have? Or which I think I probably thought at the time, oh great, another one-off enemy. You know, maybe we'll hear about them some point. Who knows? Who cares? Um, Dan, you had something to comment on. Yeah, it took me years to appreciate Q because of how he treated Picard and the crew. I had to watch him, you know, in reruns and be like, oh, okay. Because I always put myself in the place of the crew whenever i'm watching star trek and i would always get so annoyed with q i'm like why would you do that to them you know and i would get so frustrated and when he sent them way out there and they had to deal with this borg situation i was just like darn it q you know and it, as i got a little bit older i'm like ah they're writing that intentionally because otherwise they'd just be you know driving around cataloging gaseous anomalies but it was the same thing with a lot of different comedies that I would watch, too. It's like I would see the person that is supposed to annoy or antagonize the main characters, and I would get frustrated with them, particularly in my teens and 20s. I'm like, stop picking on my favorite characters and just let them have a nice day. But a nice day does not a decent episode often make. Well, especially when a nice day is a good day to die. So we don't we don't want to get involved. Oh, there. yeah. But Greg, you had a point to make. Well, the point is, I we don't want to, uh, you know, go too much onto Q. But Holly and I actually talked about before. Yes, the Borg were, you know, Starfleet's biggest threat when they were introduced. We talked about, and I know you had a Q episode. And I just want to throw out that, and I want the listeners to think about this with Q because the, the obviously the connection with the Borg is we would have never met the Borg had he not brought them through and uh, as you know, quicker than they would have come through. I mean, what thousands upon thousands of years it would have been if he didn't do that. So just wanted to kind of 
throw in the YQ might even be the biggest antagonist versus the Borg, although the Borg were their biggest threat once Q brought them in. And even Captain Janeway had mentioned that, that, oh, this is all because of Q. But once we get into the situation of earlier stuff like Enterprise and all that, you end up kind of backtracking that we meet the Borg initially through Q, and there's even very hints, valid. Yeah. There's even hints in Star Trek Continues, the episode Divided We Stand, where we're like, oh, that's hints of Borg, and I love yeah. that. I love that. The whole loop thing, yeah, the whole time loop thing, yeah. Yeah. All right, so I think we want to hear from Holly here, because now you did say yes. that you did see some of Q Who, yeah. Um, as your initial. And mm -hmm. then it was later, of, of course, Best of Both Worlds are brought in. But what do you remember of your experience with the episode of Q Who being? Um, just, you know, kind of seeing them and it's like, okay, they look scary. I mean, they really didn't do much in Q Who. We didn't realize how nasty and villainous they could be until we got to... Um, best of both worlds with them just taking i mean we can make a comparison to doctor who's cybermen with the upgrades you will be deleted why we didn't try gold dust on the borg to see if that would do anything is beyond me but just oh the chills is just like okay I don't want anything to do with these guys. We can't really reason with them. What can we do to placate Q to get us back to where we need to be? That's great. And actually, I'm so very glad that you brought the Doctor Who connection into it. I really, I wanted somebody to mention the Cybermen similarity to it. Um, I have watched Doctor Who a lot in my time, but there's just so much of it that there's way more than I've missed than I've seen. And I knew there was that similarity and I'm glad that somebody brought it up because I know, I think at some point there was a, a comic book or something like that. That was a Doctor yes. Who Cyberman Borg crossover. Yes, there was. Sadly, it is out of print. <laughs> so hopefully later on, I can Did get my hands on it. <laughs> Didn't JK Woodward do the cover art for that? If I recall correctly, that you got me. Yeah, yeah same. I've seen I'm not some of his sure. Star Trek Doctor Who combo combo art, and it's gorgeous. I I think he may have done the uh, cover art for at least some of that. I have a print in my room of uh, Amy and Rory coming out of the TARDIS in TOS uniforms, which is very cool. Yeah, well, anytime. I mean, when you have all these series that at many times will play it free and loose with time there. Um, it's, it's just, it makes for great fodder for, you know, new ideas and different things to come over. It would be fun to see that elaborated. I'd like to see them do that. One of the animated series, although I'm, I'm hot and cold with the animated series. Um, and now the amazing thing that as for as popular as the Borg became their appearance in next generation, which is a lot of people's first experience of them. They were only in six episodes for something that was that impactful. It was only six. And for those people that have watched Next Generation, those are probably one of the few things that they would name when you say, what are the things you think about when you think of Next Generation? You know, they'll probably say some stuff about the crew. They'll probably say something about the ship, you know, and then they're probably going to say something about the Borg. 
I mean, because that's just they're one of the biggest things that to be in so few episodes. But also that was pretty much by design, being that a lot of the writers would say we made them to be such an indestructible force. How many times can you have the same group of people defeat this almost force of nature type thing? They felt like it would diminish them, which we're going to get into later and everyone's going to hate me. I, I so, may know where you're going with that. Oh, I'm so sorry. I may know where yeah, you're no, going no. with that, Ken. Yeah, I may know where you're going with that, but let's not. Yeah, yes, you're right. It's six episodes, but they were six of the best episodes and they did so much damage might be, for lack of a better word. What really is amazing is Patrick Stewart as an actor, because a lot of people forget about a traumatic experience in TV shows. If you I want all the listeners to take a notice to after Picard in the episode home when he's now on shore leave because of the experience, the effect that they had on him and he breaks down. This is post-traumatic stress disorder and, and, you know, at its best being represented in Star Trek when he breaks down, was it to his brother? Was it to Robert where he's just talking about how they just took him away? And what he did was, Patrick Stewart as an actor, I don't believe, ever let go that at that point, Picard was a tortured man from that experience. And of course, first contact, you know, they went back to that with first contact. So I just, oh, yeah. I did want to mention that. Yeah. I really, I love that aspect. It's so many times in shows like these, you're not sure to what level they're going to take it, to what depth they're going to go. And to be willing to bring that on as a point of character development for him was really something that I wasn't expecting them to do. I wasn't expecting to go so deep with it. And I wasn't uh, really expecting them to keep bringing it back. It it was really when they did it the first time, I said, oh, okay, you're going to include that little thing. That's a nice, you know, little anecdote. And then it just kept coming back and it kept coming back. I mean, really important in first contact. And then you get to even figure out later on in the series as in the different series, as things go by, it wasn't even like a PTSD thing. He was at a fundamental level. He was changed forever. He was, and and not just talking about physically, but psychologically, he just never the same person again, in some cases broken, in some cases back to his level of function, but just not the same person anymore. And, and there's specific reasons for it, which we will touch on. But that was something that was also really, really incredible, that they would bring that and make this the reason for that level of character depth. All right. So um, what I want to go on to next is everybody's larger experience with this was in the best of both worlds, which some people, many people would say were probably the two best episodes of Next Generation. They really put a lot of a lot into this, a lot of different character um, points, a lot of different things that will become uh, very important later on from one episode to the next. And just the idea that it it really, I mean, you know, it, it really got to the core of the group. At that point, you'd been seeing, you know, the the core, you know, upper upper decksmen, you know, being around together as a team, and then Picard gets taken. And then it's not to the point that Picard gets taken and and you know, this might happen, that might happen. It really looked at a certain point, even though 
you kind of think, ah, oh, they'll get him back. They'll get him back. At a certain point, you're like, wait, they, they might not get him back. Like this could be, you know. So that was um, that was a big deal, and I think that's what made it um, a really important episode, and what actually could have made a lot of the popularity come along with the Borg was that they were willing to take them and make them this pivotal of a thing that they're willing to make them the basis for who if Picard did not show up again, or if they made that that's uh, season premiere, the last time he showed up and then he went away during that one, that would have been one of the biggest events in TV. I'm glad it didn't happen. I couldn't even imagine how it would have been to start out a new season with a new captain. And, you know, it, it could have gone either way. It could have gone greater or it could have just destroyed the entire series. But it was definitely a, a strong uh, way to, to end out on. So on that two-episode arc, and actually the second episode, too, uh, was great when they were uh, bringing on you know, the different um, crewmen and then having, having uh, the different second in command. I was very upset. They considered Data. And of course, Data didn't get to get second in command, which I thought, you know, was, you know, of course, you know, you're going to forget about the artificial guy because he's he's not not as good, right? Just because he's artificial, he's not as good. So, um, and Elizabeth but anyway, Dennehy I wanted to get a great job in that show, I'm, too. I'm sorry? Elizabeth Dennehy did a great job in that show, yes. too. Yep. No, that, that was great. And it was great that they would bring her back. And uh, so I just want to see what was everybody's overall thoughts on those two episodes as a whole. Let's uh, let's start with Holly. Um, fantastic tension galore because Shelby was basically coming in to take over Riker's position, gunning for his spot and just, I mean, I still every now and again, I still get the streak of Shelby, you shouldn't have pushed things. If we hadn't, maybe this whole thing with Picard might not have gone the way that it did, but it is what it is. And just the weight and the resolution and knowing that it was going to have a long lasting impact on everybody from here on out on the, from the crew to the rest of Starfleet knowing that, hey, the Borg are out there. We have to up our game because we don't know when they're going to show up next. Yeah, that is absolutely true. And uh, I mean, it, it's it's really interesting, too, that you said, you know, you, you saw them and then you're like, all right, here, here are these guys. And then it seemed to also just as well. Um, this really solidified them where the first time out, like I said, I wasn't sure which way they were going with this. And maybe it was just going to be another monster of the week when they brought them back. It was, they were different. You, you could see that they had given it a lot more thought and there are actually a couple of things that are different about the Borg that this time around in the best of both worlds episodes that they changed from their initial time showing up, which we'll touch on in a little bit, but I wanted to get Dan's view of these two episodes. Oh, just when you think about the way you had to wait for the second episode, the tension was there for such a long time. And then it's like, bam, when I saw the season premiere and got to see Best of Both Worlds Part 2, you know, everybody was just so excited the next day talking about the fact that Picard was back. And it's like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe this. But then there was thought of how is this going to continue to affect him? And as you were talking about with Greg and Holly, 
it has continued throughout the years to be a thread of who he is, which is just great. That is that is excellent. I, and I do. I really uh, appreciate those insights because it's good to see that, you know, you can have that view these things and then just see, you know, just like we all mentioned, this was something that just they perpetuated so much through the series and that it lent itself to allow either whether you would call it retconning or whether you would call it in creative writing, but they really lent themselves to that. Yeah, Dan? And it continued right up into the Picard series. So the consistency of Borg involvement in who Picard is remains right up to the latest iterations. And, you know, one thing that is interesting, as I was mentioning before, about how the Borg behavior had changed from the initial time that they met the Enterprise until the next time in Best of Both Worlds was that they, it almost seemed, and this is probably something you can blame Q for, because in the initial uh, meeting of the Borg, you could see that, and Q told them, they're not interested in you. They're interested in your technology. They just want to you know, see what you may have that's new and then use that and then move on. And then when the board came back in Best of Both Worlds, well, now they were interested in, in Picard himself and they had some interest in, you know, more aggressively assimilating uh, people on the Enterprise than they had before. And many people say that this is very much Q's doing, not in the sense that, you know, because Q exposed the Federation to the Borg, now the Borg are coming, but because the Q, because when Q had them show up in front of the Borg, the Borg could scan them. And at that point, the Borg would have realized the technology that the Federation has isn't really anything super crazy, that the Borg level of technology is probably as if not more advanced at that point than federation technology is even if it's just their ability to have such a instant you know communication you know hierarchical structure or whatever you know leadership not even leadership just you know the way that they work that's just so far advanced that they're able to obtain more with a similar level uh, level of technology but then yeah, the hive the mind the ship yeah the hive mind that they have and then this ship shows up out of nowhere with a signature showing from its part, you know, from an area of space that they may not have ever contacted before. At this point, no one knows that they may have contacted before and that there's no way that tech with the technology they have on that ship could have shown up in front of them like that and then disappeared just as quickly without them being able to, you know, capture them or restrain them or, you know, because they've been able to do it so easily before. Right then and there, the Borg must have thought, all right, we have to find out where these, you know, this culture comes from and totally assimilate it because there's no way they could travel like that with the technology that they have. So they must have something else. And so it was very much Q's fault at that point that the Borg started coming after the Alpha Quadrant, which later on, maybe not. But, you know, that, that's debatable. Yeah, Dan? Now, here's something to speculate, and I'm sure our listeners have speculated this as well. I know a lot of my friends have sat around contemplating it. What would it be like for the Borg to assimilate 
a Q. What are your thoughts on that, Ken? Now, see, now that would be my thoughts on that are the Borg would not be able to assimilate a Q unless the Q allowed themselves to be assimilated. And I could see that, I, yeah. You know, like, I, I just, I don't think if a Q does not want to be assimilated, you're not, they're not getting assimilated. I mean, it's just, it's... But imagine if it were a young Q, like, say, Q's son, or, say, a Q who is, you know, got the issues that the second Q had in Voyager, they may very well say, you know, I would rather live as a Borg than than live as myself, or like with a young Q, simply not have the strength and cleverness to evade the Borg. All right, so it's interesting that you mentioned that. So a little bit of some of the reading I was doing earlier did have to do with Q's son. I think it was in that Voyager episode. So the Borg, the closest thing approximating some kind of, you know, veneration or deification that some kind of group like the Borg could have is it's it's this there's a, a particular molecule, like a particle, something called like an omega particle or some such thing. I think they call it particle zero one zero. And uh, apparently it's it's some kind of uh, molecule that is just ridiculously unstable and it takes you know, like an extremely large amount of energy to synthesize it. And then it takes an even larger amount of, en of energy to keep it stable. But just a few of them linked together, if you could control their release of energy, you could, you could power entire civilizations just with a few of these molecules. And the Borg saw this thing as one of the most powerful things in all of existence and they almost had a godlike reverence for this thing and supposedly at one point they'd managed to manufacture a molecule of this thing and they kept it stable for for a second or a few milliseconds and then it went unstable and blew up something like 40 or 50 cubes and killed like you know like a hundred million borg and it was just like some insane catastrophe so they they kind of have their ideas on how to make it, but they keep chasing after the secret of it. Now, so see, that all was this time, all this time, I thought that the most powerful molecule in the universe was the coffee molecule. It is the Janeway. Yeah, yeah, the, Janeway and me, we and, love that coffee. And but the point why I brought that up was because there was one point when Q was talking to his son Q, and he was saying, you know, what are you out doing causing trouble now, exploding a few of those? And he says that molecule. Nice. So like, so for Q's son at that age that he's playing with these insanely destructive molecules that could destroy star systems, I don't think Borg are going to be able to, you know, to assimilate that. That's just oh, no okay. level they're not talking. Yeah. But it would be very interesting to see. I think a Q would just do it for fun. And then once they'd had enough, be like, okay, and then just pop back out again. That's that's kind of how I think oh, no, that that would be is. a neat take. Yeah, I could, see. you know, but that was but that so that was one of those situations in which, um, you know, Q changed the course of the Federation, but inadvertently changed the path of both the Federation and the Borg at the same time because now the Borg have this new obsession. And now the Federation has this new great, you know, gadgetry that, you know, if they could manage to capture a little bit of it, Section 31 is going to have a field day, which was a point we're going to bring up later on. So now 
moving on from those episodes, which were great introductions to the group, we started seeing at the end of that two-part series that the Borg indeed do have some weaknesses that can be dealt with. And then that became a theme of the interactions of the Borg throughout the rest of the next generation and far into the Voyager series and indeed became a common theme on all encounters with the Borg there on what are their weakness and how can we, we don't necessarily need to do any negotiating. We have to figure out a weakness that we can over science and over tech on them. So basically our next meetings with the Borg were indeed with Borg that were found to be malfunctioning. And then they were already almost in a way carrying on with that viral theory, a weakened sample that now can be experimented on. And can we turn them into some, use them in a sense against the larger organism as a whole. And so what happens is in the episode I Borg, they find a scout vessel that it had, I believe it was five Borg on board. Uh, four of them, I believe, were killed in the crash and only one survived or was to a certain level of survival that was able to be salvaged. And so they revive the Borg after cutting it off from the collective subspace beam so that they cannot have their mind be one with the collective. The Borg suffers a great amount of disorientation, but then slowly begins to regain a sense of independence and a sense of its own existence. And the Borg was designated third of five because, as we later find out, that Borg are grouped into certain groups for tasks that they need to do, and they're giving a de given a designation as a certain number of that group. And then if they have a special function that exists beyond that, that's sort of tacked on to their, the end of their name. So their designation is basically a title. So this Borg, later to be named Q by Geordi, was used in, in a sense, uh, in the beginning, they were using this Borg to get, have it regain its own sentience, to even show if it's possible, can a Borg be rehabilitated from the collective, seeing as they are assimilated rather than born into the collective, which was something also at the first presence of the Borg, Riker had specified that these Borg creatures, at least the biological parts of them, were born as any other life form is. And then this idea of implanting cybernetic implants onto them increases as they grow. Whereas later on in the series, it's no, they are always assimilated. There are no natural born Borg. It's just that sometimes they will assimilate babies when they're assimilating in, you know, entire civilizations. So they will not allow those smaller children to be assimilated until they reach a certain point at which they can become valuable to the collective. They're kept in maturation chambers so that their growth can be accelerated, and then they're joined at a later point. So we find a bunch of Borg that have obviously just joined the collective because they're younger and they're a scout group. They're out, they're expendable. And you find what happens with most, the Borgs that are destroyed beyond repair are usually vaporized because they don't the Borg don't want technology getting captured. 
and the Borg that could still be rescued somewhat at a certain point or their neural processors are still intact so that there's still valuable data that can be downloaded, their bodies are preserved until they can be retrieved by the collective. So they get Q on board. He becomes friends with Jordy. They slowly lead him on a path toward maintaining some of his own sentience. And he does indeed begin to do that. They then figure out that much is going on with the virus motif that they can indeed use Hugh as first an inoculation, a cure, as it will, for the Borg, that they can put in a very aggressive computer virus implanted into Hugh, send him back to the collective, and then that would download into the rest of the collective, thereby using that computer virus to cause a fatal shutdown of the technological portions of the Borg anatomy, thereby eliminating the Borg. And many people in the crew said, no problem. Let's go ahead and do it. Let's get rid of them. There's no way else we know how to do it. And from what we've seen, they will run all over all over the galaxy like a fire and just destroy and burn everything. We have to stop them now. And then the idea then comes up, and I'm not sure if anyone knows if, if Guinan brought this up or whoever brought it up, that if you indeed do that, you're basically committing genocide. We may not understand their way of doing things. Maybe we don't have a way of communicating with them yet, but they are still a living being. They do have a right to exist, but part of their right or part of their method of existence means taking away other methods of existence by other species. So it's kind of a gray area there. Do we wipe an entire species out? Do we try and save them one by one and figure out how to reverse the assimilation? You know, what do we do? So later it's determined we won't use the Borg as a destruction. We won't use Hugh as a method of destru- destructing them, but we'll try and use him as a method of an inoculation, of a way of weakening them so that they're not as able to infect or you know, uh, assimilate everybody. So basically what they do is they decide to send Hugh back without wiping his memory because the idea is they wanted to actually wipe him of his entire knowledge because then the Borg would know more about the Enterprise. And they do try to do some of that, but the great scene is, I don't know, how, and I'm sure people caught it because they made a point of showing it, they thought you know, Hugh had been mind-wiped, and when the Borg come on board, retrieve him, and then beam back with him right before Hugh completely materializes, he looks and turns and looks directly at Geordi. So, and then Geordi acknowledges this. So, you know, somewhere he remembers something of his experience. And they use that as a method to move on to the next and last time you'll see them in the next generation. Yes, Dan. And we also later on see Hugh in Picard. And uh, sadly, this is spoilers. So if you haven't seen Picard, you know, mute this for a second, change your, change your station for, you know, a minute. But sadly in Picard, he doesn't last as long as I would like him to. Yeah, that's, they really, uh, he, he, he could have been so much more for being someone that important. But they did let you know very early on in the series that, you know, important characters are going to die. It was just the, the guessing game as to who it would be. I just love but, him, uh, though. He's such a good, good character. All right. So now 
I the, the pivotal point of this episode, or well, a couple of points. The first, the idea that you know bringing individual individuality back, and you know can you kind of turn that Borg programming around, which it shows that you can. Number one, and then number two, that decision that Picard had to make. So I want to get all your opinions one by one. Do you think Picard made the right decision? Start with Greg. Well, it was such, you know, Picard, I think, um, went into himself going, but I was a Borg and you redeemed me. I was saved. You know, this episode of uh, I Borg um, is Star Trek at its best. And while there are some people going, oh, we should have just seen the Borg, you know, as rare as possible, which they did do in, in The Next Generation with, uh, you know, to keep their mystique with with I Borg. This is probably one of the best episodes of Star Trek in in history of all the series across the board. The moral implications of it, and of course, they revisited that many times in different series. So you got the moral implications and the prime directive in there. You are committing genocide where, you know, Picard, you know, thinking that all these people, the, the Starfleet or everyone, citizens uh, of different planets that were... Uh, assimilated by the Borg, what if they could be saved one day? Otherwise, we're just, you know, and, and also the uh, the mirroring of what happens in war crimes all the time. You know, this is very Section 31 stuff, very Black Ops stuff here that we deal with as a society every day. And that makes I, Borg, just being this great, as Star Trek is best for their parables, and that is great. And I think the whole episode, and when you know, as Dan said, you, you fall in love with Hugh. And I think that could be why what happens to him happens to him. Picard and the sacrifice he made for himself for them to escape. I believe it was something like that. Like he saved John Luke after John Luke saved him. But it also made the emotional implications of it with with that fate of Hugh um, so much more hit you in the gut, which is what it was supposed to do. After all that, that that Hugh had been got his humanity back, and of course, you know everybody. Um, and seven, I mean, and also spoiler alert, Echeb, you know. But all this stuff that that Star Trek is so great in their writing, able to link everything, and even though it might not be what we want to see, it makes it make sense. So. I'm not sure if that answers your question as a whole, but you know, as a whole, I think I Borg is a testament to Star Trek. I think that the decision is a controversial one. I think that it had to do with the fact that Hugh became Hugh. He became Geordi's best friend. He he bonded with the crew. He was just an innocent teenager at, at that point. Hugh. He was a, Hugh. He was a child essentially when he's taken and it, it 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 would have meant you know hurting him too you know and you know there's that whole needs of the many uh expression that there is um i think that i can answer by saying this it was a controversial decision picard is a reasonable man and a good man and he did what he had to do had to do but if i was in his position and them all of them the you know like they were in the ready room, I know, having the conversation. I honestly don't know where I would have stand, uh, stood on that. And I don't know. I'd be leaning toward the Borg or a bigger threat than anything to us. 
And that scares me, you know, to even think that I can think such a thing because Picard's decision, it's like neither decision is right or wrong, you know, and that's something that Star Trek does best. And that's why I love that episode. Excellent. And now, Dan, what do you think of how Picard handled the situation with you? I mean, Jordy wanted him to stay, you know, and they, I mean, that's, that's one of the things too, that you see about the, the nuanced layers at which Picard made a decision in this case. How do you think he handled it? Oh, as far as uh, sending Hugh back with the Borg, as opposed to keeping him as a part of the crew. I think that if, if he wanted to keep him as part of the crew, he could have done it because look at Janeway and seven, it works in the long run. And Seven becomes a valuable part of the Voyager crew. So I think if Picard had chosen to keep Hugh on the Enterprise D, he he would have been a fantastic character, and it would have been awesome to be able to watch his story arc. Instead, we have to just kind of imagine it, uh, you know, when we meet him again in Picard. All right. And now, Holly, what did you think about, you know, Picard sending him back, deciding not to get rid of the Borg in one fell swoop early on. Yeah. Um, I think he was still kind of facing, you know, the inner turmoil and to kind of bring in another Dr. Who reference with the doc, the doctor and the Daleks. Do I have the right to do this? Do I have the right to wipe out an entire race that sure they're biologic cyborgs and, but, I'm thinking, too, he was also thinking about all the other races that had gotten assimilated and thinking, well, if we can somehow save them, do I have the right to kill them off when we could have a chance to bring them back to who they were to begin with? So unless there was some other things going on in the background with Starfleet that we don't aren't privy to, but I think he probably did what he thought was best at the time and we got some more legs out of it with seven of nine later on in voyager excellent all right dan you had something else you needed to add there yeah holly just made me think of something as i'm sitting there listening to her about how picard wrestles with the decision you know you've got hughes humanity who he could be crew members that have been assimilated could they save them but then we get to the big silver screen and you remember Picard takes just a regular machine gun and just goes off on a bunch of Borg. And then Alfre Woodard, I forget the name of her character, but she says to him, those guys were your guys just like 20 minutes ago. I can't believe really? he did that. So we get a little bit more of an action hero Picard rather than a thinking Picard once he hits the big screen. That, to me, has always seemed a little bit out of character for our dear captain. And it's always bothered me that he just goes off on those Borg when, yeah, they were Starfleet members like just five, 20 minutes ago. Well, that is a great aspect to that. And also that kind of touches back on how we know that Picard's horrible experience with the Borg just put him in such a, a state that he just, you know, he was destroyed as a man and broken and he's and as we'll get to later when we're talking about first contact he at that point he he wanted he wanted to avenge himself against in such a way that he was willing to kind of 
not be the Picard that we all know. He he became something else in that time, which uh, he did force his hand a bit in. And actually, I wanted to make one correction. They did not. Uh, they didn't take away Q's memory. Uh, they felt that once Q rejoined the collective, they would wipe his memory and just return him to his regular duty. And that was where Picard had to make a couple of decisions. Does he send Q, Q back or not? Does he send him back with the virus in him? Does he send him back as he is? Does he, it, there was a lot of things. So he kind of, I think he sort of worked a central road to that. That And it was Hugh who uh, finally admitted, I'll go back because I want to protect you guys because you're my friends and you know you saved me, so now I'm going to save you. And Picard's like, all right, well, he wants us to, he, he's going to send, uh, we'll send him back because he'll save us all doing that and he's willing to do that, but we'll let him you know, retain himself and, you know, see, maybe it'll do nothing, you know, who knows. And as we find, as we get to the last appearance of our Borg friends in Star Trek, the next generation, the two episode uh, arc of descent, which have got to have the two most incredible things of Star Trek, the next generation. If you leave out Riker's beard, so you have, the Borg, and you have Data. Thank you very much. I will go on record now. And everybody here, I could see, even though nobody could see, and this is an audio recording, but all of us are videoing each other. And I could see everybody is jumping up and down right now, raising their hands, you know, to agree with me at how great the Borg are. They're not, no, stop, stop. I'm, they're writing signs now. They're holding up signs now. And now, where did you get confetti from? Where did you get? How did you guys have confetti? Just look, look, I know. Calm down. I know you guys love Data. I know you think he's the best thing ever to Star Trek. You calm down. You calm forgot down. Spot. Yes, yes. Well, we, we'll because we'll I'm a cat guy. Spot, we'll give Spot an or, uh, honorable mention, but he's orange, so you know gingers. Oh yeah. But um, Amy so Pond. basically, we get to see the results of what Picard did. In that, in this episode, this two-parter descent, where beam down to a planet, some you know weird kind of uh, signal dampening field is down there. They go down there and they find lore. Okay, and well, actually, they find a bunch of Borg that had been assaulting their ships and doing hit and run tactics, not in ways that Borg usually do. They also see Borg calling each other by name, not by designation. They also see Borg willing to seek vengeance and experiencing anger and other emotions that they had never seen Borg do before. And at the core of all this is Lore, who, while Lore was just floating around in space because he had been abandoned, a Borg ship floating around in space because they're all, you know, googly because they had been introduced to independence and you know independent thought you know lore managed to find his way onto the ship and say hey look you're partially artificial i am artificial i'll give you the direction that you need and then i mean lore basically became a cult leader at that point. he had an emotion chip on him he found a way to program that into the borg's uh, cybernetic implants and managed to control their personalities to a certain degree doling out emotions as he saw fit in order to train the Borg in a way 
to become his minions. And it was just a really great series. The idea that, well, now you saw how, yes, the board can possibly be defeated in certain ways and have certain amounts of individuality returned to them, but that doesn't always necessarily mean it's going to be a good thing. Lore turned them into basically just you know, turned them into foot soldiers and controlled them via controlling their emotions, just literally trading one programming for another. And it was just very interesting to see you could give them a certain amount of freedom, but control that amount of freedom and use it to your own ends, which is another one of those ways, another nuance they brought in that what if they could be freed, but maybe that freedom wasn't, you know, such a great thing. So I wanted to get everybody's opinion on what they thought of these newly freed Borg and how they were be able to be controlled by lore. Dan, let me hear. It almost reminds me, and you bring up a cult leader uh, aspect of it. It's a fantastic parallel, but it also reminds me of politicians in recent years and how they can control their minions through, say, like talk radio or whatever. And blindly, they end up following them. They control their emotions. And, yeah, I could easily see Lore being a cult leader, a politician, and uh, just manipulating the heck out of those poor Borg. And it's like, like one of the only episodes where you can collectively say those poor Borg. You know, individually with Hugh, you've got that poor Borg. But those poor Borg that were manipulated by, by Lore... It's like, darn it, don't pick on the Borg. We're starting to get attached to them. Yeah, no, that is true. And it's actually, you know, interesting that seeing Hugh and then getting into this aspect also, now you're starting to see this is the progression of the weakening of the Borg. They did this through the entire stretch of the Borg's existence in this property. They seem to just start out the Borg as this ridiculous boogeyman. And then little by little, they whittled them down and they whittled them down. Um, it, at some points, it just it became it became unfortunate because the way they were initially introduced as such just, you know, an, an immovable object or, you know, irresistible object, ir, uh, irresistible force, immovable object uh, type of situation was really incredible but uh okay greg how do you feel the whole aspect of you know these these poor borg becoming yeah well minions yeah. of lore yeah well um i'll start on the board here um great episode great thing that you mentioned because i don't know if i would have thought of yeah here's the results of the liberation of the Borg. how do you know how it's going to turn out you know so it was really a lore episode at its core. Didn't mean to rhyme there. Um, no poem intended. But it, it was also a little bit... I mean, we only saw Hugh a little bit in this episode, and he is the start. Hugh was the... These are Borg that through Hugh learned, oh, we could be liberated. And then there were these liberated Borg led by Hugh, but they split. And Hugh had his group and then this group ended up being minions of lore. And I I always say this when I talk about this episode, that I feel like it's a, wow, how evil is lore episode 
more than the Borg. I mean, I love the Borg were in a way, I feel like they were a subplot to this episode, but it was also data that stop, stop, stop. I'll never forget the first time I saw that. And it was really in exploring what was going on with data. Obviously, lore was infiltrating him almost as if to say lore learned how to. I mean, they could always do that, but that, you know, through the Borg, he could do it better. It's like, I've been calling you brother. You know, the episode is creepy, full of excitement. And that, yes, like, like here is a great example. And I, I'm, I'm so glad you said that of, you know, just because we have the power to do this, should we do this? And Hugh meant no harm. Hugh was there with good intentions. But look what happened to these other Borg. Uh, and then, of course, this is a great lore episode. This would be, um, you know, this is the icing on the cake of how evil lore is or was, and it, it was fantastic. That's an excellent, excellent point. And I want to get Holly's opinion on this. And then the one thing that you just said, I, I'm going to want to touch on if, if Holly doesn't mention it on already, but one <laughs> aspect you brought up, I want to just uh, re-gloss over in the end after Holly's. Go ahead, Holly. Yeah. Um, the Borg, I mean, just showing their anger, I mean, and, I agree with Greg. The whole thing with Lore, Master Manipulator, I mean, this was kind of his episode. I mean, heaven forbid if Lore and the Borg Queen ever got into cahoots together, I think we would have been in more of a world of hurt. They wouldn't have degraded as much. I think they would have been more of a force to be reckoned with, just with all the puppet strings pulling and whatnot. That's actually an excellent point. I think you it would be hard to figure out who would outdo who first if Lore went up against the Borg Queen because we saw that Data was basically a match for the Borg Queen and he was just being honest and had his obvious goals uh, in mind. Just imagine right, Lore no motive. really good at being a deceptive you know, person at that level. That would be very interesting. And then uh, the one thing I wanted to go back around to that Greg was mentioning about how evil Lore can be. And not only is Lore evil, but he's so, I guess, conniving. And so so basically, they finally manage to disable Lore, I think, by shooting him. They get Lore to a point where they can incapacitate him and turn him off. And they have him. They're, ju they're just in the process of deactivating Lore. And the last thing Lore says, like right before they shut him off, He's talking to Dave and he's like, I love you, brother. And then they shut him off. And you're like, you son of a... Just the knife plunge. Like, I'm just going to needle you. Look what you look what you caused this to happen. You know, <laughs> even though Laura was the one pulling the string. Yep. No, very, 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 or at least an attempt at being manipulative. You know, that, you know, someone doing really, really bad things to you and then you stop them from doing that. Something negative happens, you know, because of their own doing. And then, you know, it's like, Oh, you know, look what you did to me. I, I still love you. It's like, no, no, you don't. You know, there was, there's only, you know, lore, lore is only out for lore. And, you know, he's, and, and that's one thing. I mean, you realize that he's a manipulator, but you, I don't know if you realize until that point, how far he's willing to go. He's getting deactivated. Last time he got fully deactivated was for decades. And, you know, now, again, he's getting deactivated. He doesn't know for how long. 
he's in, you know, Starfleet's hands right now. He could be deactivated for centuries for all he knows. And the last thing he does is just like Holly said, he decides to just like give a little needle and twist the dagger a little to data. You're like, I love you. And you know, that's going to be running around in, in data's mind forever. So now Data's going to be like, oh, maybe he can be saved. Maybe he can be, you know, so it's just that just like so manipulative. It just, it, it, it sometimes makes you want to scream. But uh, so we move on there from next generation. Now, if we're going to go according to the show um, in show order, there was next mention of the Borg was in Deep Space Nine. Now, Deep Space Nine, the Borg only really had that kind of mention in one episode. And like Greg had said, it was basically just Cisco going through his experiences during the, the Borg attempted assimilation and battle of wolf 359 and that's they were all all they were really involved in it was obvious that the borg were popular in the fandoms and they wanted to bring them back but what was also said by some of the writers um in in the group were that they came to some kind of decision that the, the different series because at many times you would have series that would be running concurrently so they didn't want to have the same enemies showing up across the same series consistently because then it would take away from each individual series. So they decided this group would be on this series, this group would be on this series, maybe every now and again one of them can pop over, but these are going to be their main specific antagonists. So it was decided that DS9 wouldn't really have a lot to do with the board, but it got to show you from Right, but make them a very important... Yeah, so sorry, yeah. Exactly. No, but I, but this was a theme that they did use later on in in the Picard series. The idea of an individual officer who is now a captain, who at that time was a lower ranking officer, and how this whole involvement with the Borg in the Battle of Wolf Three Five Nine ultimately impacted him for the rest of his life. And we saw that with Cisco, and we see that later on with Shaw. So this was something that we get to see that echoes later on. And it does get to show you, you know, again, the depth. There's very much a human side or, well, human, you know, quote unquote, you know, there is a emotional side to these conflicts. They wanted to make it. It's not just a space war, you know, and you're going pew pew. It's, you know, people are dying and, you know, these people are you know, molded by this, in some cases broken by it. So it was a very interesting addition to that that seemed to go later on. And now we have what many people consider the best entry into the Star Trek canon, Star Trek, the uh, first contact, the film, which was possibly one of the greatest Star Trek films, I personally think, because it didn't, it was trying in a sense to not be what a typical star trek film was while not getting too far away from what star trek was the idea to almost go full horror in this one was a very very important decision something that they really didn't do if it was even just for the cinematography and then for just some of the you know guerrilla warfare tactics and for some of the wartime decisions that they made in that film 
it brought a level of grittiness to it that Star Trek really didn't experience a lot before that. They didn't really overdo it too much. Though. And it was nice getting to see that new entry to it. Now, uh, every, everybody, I, I want to go around. I want to get everybody's. We're going to go over this quick because to review a whole film is going to take a long time. But I just want to get everybody's overall opinion, opinions. What did you think about First Contact and some of its ramifications? Dan. Well, I, for one, I love the fact that Frakes directed it because it seems like anytime Frakes directs, it makes the product better. And you've got a fantastic screenplay by Braga and more. So you're already laying a fantastic foundation. But other than the fact that I really thought Picard should have handled the shooting of the former Starfleet officers better. Every moment is captivating in that movie. The way the Borg behave is fascinating. The way they go back through time and uh, Zephram Cochran being there and the fact that we get to see first contact with the Vulcans and the fact that there's Roy Orbison's Ubi Doobie in it, which is a fantastic classic record. Every moment is a, is a rewatchable moment. Perfect movie. All right. Um, Holly. Your view about First Contact, what were your big oh, points you liked from it? Um, like Dan was saying, the writing, the directing, great soundtrack. I mean, and also John Case, Steppenwolf, when they're blasting off with stuff from Cochran into space. And also, too, just the ramifications and ramping up that the Borg were going to try to time travel and kind of come in and wreak havoc with Zephram Cochran in the first contact. I mean, we knew things were on the line. Clock was ticking. And I mean, an awesome, awesome next gen movie. All right. Now I, well, I want to, I'm going to pop over to Dan just real quick. And then I want to speak to Greg. Cause I know Greg has a nice link in to uh, the ending of this movie. It's just a real quick comment. It's got one of the funniest lines ever in in all of the star trek films when cochran is wanting to step away for a moment and he says what he says to jordy and jordy looks confused and he's like don't you guys use don't you guys you know <laughs> in the future uh, i don't know if you can say it in a podcast i work on regular radio but basically he says he wants to go take a leak are we allowed to say that in podcasts i'm not on the radio I right now. so yeah and just that banter is funny because it shows how colloquialisms evolve over time as well and how slang evolves over time. It was just a very funny moment, and it was so well-directed. The rhythm of that humor hits me every time. Yep, well, that's when you, you get into that, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, an allusion to the, the Wales movie when, you know, Kirk and Spock are walking on the street and guys are cursing and yelling, and he's like, what are these words that they're saying? Yeah, you know, yeah. It's like, oh, the slang of the day. You have to, you know, you, you have to do this. Everybody talks like this, you know. So <laughs> then, like, take a leak. I, I detect no leak. It's, you know, it's like, okay. Yeah, it's and then he's like, oh, brilliant. oh yeah, the very rhythm funny, of that humor humorous. is so well. Yeah. It's like, bam, it's just like, it's like great drumming, you know. It's like that rhythm is perfect. Yep. All right. So now, Greg, uh, your opinion of the movie First Contact, its points, and I know you had one specific thing in there that uh you were mentioning earlier was one of your favorite things go ahead one of my, my probably my favorite borg episode is connected to first contact well um you guys are going to be surprised we did we did do a first contact episode 
and uh, we did review First Contact. Um, I um, was moderating that one, so I didn't really get to give my opinion of the movie. Believe it or not, First Contact isn't my favorite Star Trek movie, but hold on, hold on. It's not my favorite Star Trek movie, but I do love it, and I happen to think that Star Trek aside, I'm not being biased, it might be one of the most beautifully photographed movie of all time. The cinematography, it, it, it didn't get you know nominated for an Oscar, but that's because it was a TV property. It should have been. It only got nominated for makeup. Didn't win, though. And what it lost to, the clumps. All right. But, uh, oh, I guess that was the original Nutty Professor. I'm sorry. I believe that was the original. It was 96. So, the first of all, the cinematography, perfect. The performance is perfect. The movie, perfect. The fact that what they were trying to do, the Borg, like, see, that's the thing. They're automatons, but they were smart enough to figure out, because, you know, the Queen, which is coming, um, smart enough to figure out that if they went back to stop First Contact and Zephram Cochran's first flight, Star Trek itself would not have happened. And they would have made it a Borg universe. You know, they were going to wipe out. It was all going to be Borg. It was the threat could not have been higher there. You know, so the movie is great. Um, that aspect of it is great. I wanted to touch on the Queen just a second because um, Brandon Braga and Ronald D. Moore had a conflict but, I mean, they ended up changing the board for the better, and that's, you know, Voyager later on, of course, had a lot to do with the Queen. And that is is that they figured that it wouldn't make much sense or you needed a voice of the board. You needed that. They, they were considering having the board be just that, you know, that one voice that we heard. I know they did consider that, but they thought of the Queen um, and I, it might have not been, I know the fandom was divided at the time. I don't think I gave it much thought at the time, but I know at the time they're like, you completely took some of the mystique out of the Borg. I'm not sure that they did. And I think that the queen, that they have a representative and that all it did was show that everybody said before they introduced the queen, these, the Borg are like bees. Well, bees have a queen, so they have a queen. So it made much sense. And then my favorite Borg episode of all of Star Trek is Regeneration from Enterprise, where they managed to do something that Star Trek then did in the future, which I'm getting to next week, folks, um, was make a prequel and sequel to something at the same time and created that we found out that the Borg, through the events of First Contact, had a time loop happen and that they actually ended up um, 100 years or so later, they were frozen for a hundred years for the one for the sphere that landed in the Arctic Circle during first contact and landed, and then it froze two Borg, which were thought out in the time of Enterprise by two scientists. They got themselves assimilated, and now the Enterprise is against the Borg. All they had was the speculation and rumor that Zephram Cochran was drunk when making up this this story about cybernetic beings from the future who came and, and, and humans from the future stopped them. And they, they um, regarded that as Zephyr Cochran's quirks and him just being a drunk wacko. And Archer being the Cochran historian that he was, realizing, wait a minute, that must be this. And it was brilliant connection. It was... Um, uh, an amazing episode. The other thing I want to mention was, and, and a critic had mentioned this too, 
you know, Voyager had taken, as you said at the beginning, um, and we are going to have a Voyager episode next month. So we'll be able to talk about them and their role in Voyager more in that episode. Um, but a critic said, not only were the Borg scary again, like when we first saw them in Next Gen in this episode, but also they had no clue what they were dealing with. And the the kerfuffle that happened in that episode being like, what the, because it was, Enterprise is the Star Trek future, but it ain't the 24th century. So the dilemma that they had here trying to figure out what the F are these things and how do we stop them? I think the if Phlox was not, quote unquote, immune to being assimilated because he had this, um, his species, as we found out, Denoblians couldn't have been assimilated or resistant to the assimilation so that Phlox found out and being able to tell them what was kind of going on. He didn't get the whole thing. He got kind of a gist of it. And that's how they figured it out. And then, of course, Archer and uh, uh, um, Malcolm, <laughs> Malcolm Reed, in this major conclusion, go in there and, and get them. And then that chilling ending of even though it, that it's fine that this is going to keep looping, they did mention they were sent to the Delta Quadrant, that, that that's where... Um, they were somewhere far into the Delta Quadrant where the message went, you know, and it goes, so they're not going to be back for, and then they say how many years it's going to be. I apologize that I don't have that number at the top of my head. And then just darkness. It's, it's, it's a amazing episode, an amazing companion piece, an epilogue and prologue to the board. So I loved it. And, uh, and yeah. When you think about it to, uh, a little bit after that is the idea that the you know first time they saw Borg was in well I think it was 2063 was supposed to be when uh, when uh, they were on the Earth in uh, you are correct that was the first flight yep that was you are correct 63 and then almost you know and then about 80 90 years later or 100 years later them thawing out the Borg so the idea is that whatever version of section 31 that existed number one it probably didn't exist in 2063 but it did exist around the time of enterprise and so they knew something about the borg they probably knew the most about that so just realize that between that time of enterprise and the next generation you're talking about you're talking about what was it, like a couple of hundred years in between the two of them um that there has been some group, you know, that Section 31 knew that the Borg were there, knew that they sent a message, knew that they were coming. So it just puts a whole other layer into, you know, who these people were and what were they doing and, you know, how much other stuff like did have they known about. Um, so, yeah, Dan. I'm really hoping that the Section 31 show comes to fruition with uh, Michelle Yeoh, because that looks really good. I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah, yeah. I'm going to correct you. It's a film and it is coming. Oh, nice. It's going to be what it was started to be a show, though, wasn't it? And then they changed it. Okay, that's what it is. And also, I have to say that I entirely blame Section 31 for covering up one of the Constitution class starships that, uh, we're not supposed to know about. Well, we know about it now. Oh, Maybe yeah. Unexpected transporter beam soon. Um, so moving on from uh, so moving on from there, we go into the happenings in Voyager. 
Now, whereas the Borg were seemed to be so impactful, but they were only in six Next Generation episodes, Voyager had 23 episodes that the Borg were either sort of just either touched on or were part of the episode. So very readily available in the Voyager canon. And now I know not too much about the Voyager canon in, in total and also with the Borg. I know that I did watch all of Voyager. I would watch it every week. And I just remembered I had my own opinions about it. I want to say that till the end. But Holly has a lot with uh, Voyager that she can express. So I'd like to go to Holly and I want her just to basically take us through the, the general process that the Borg followed through Voyager. Holly. Okay. Well, um, the Borg are just basically kind of, you know, doing their thing, trying to take over. Everybody's trying to figure out a way to dismantle them. Also enterprise brings the nice thing with flocks with him cooking up that serum to try to take himself out if he tries to get assimilated, but then it kind of leads to what's going to happen with Voyager and them trying to dismantle the Borg in a quote-unquote humane way. We find out more about Seven of Nine's backstory with her parents who were Borg researchers, and it's like, oh, yeah, we'll go on this trip. We'll bring our little girl along to experience this. If we just observe and don't do anything, they're not going to harm us. Sadly, that's not the case. And also, we find out that the Borg do have a little bit of an enemy that they are scared of called the 8472 which almost looks like an HR Geiger <laughs> ripoff of an alien and then we get the plot with um, Echeb and they find these group of renegade Borg kind of their own resistance and Seven of Nine kind of becomes the mother figure and there was one episode off the collection that they should have kept in, which they didn't. But come to find out, Ichab was actually a decoy sent to infiltrate the Borg to try to take them out because his people and his parents were genetic engineers and they wanted to... They did something with his DNA so that when he got assimilated to kind of feed in and infiltrate and slowly take off the Borg. And then we get the whole thing later on towards the end with the resist Borg resistance, trying to get rid of the queen and Janeway going back in time and then trying to make a deal with the Borg queen to get Voyager back sooner. And of course, Endgame for the last episode title of Voyager. It's just like, okay, we've got three end games that we know. We got Voyager, we got the MCU movie, and then we got a Highlander movie by the same name. <laughs> so that's kind of the long and the short of it. Greg, did I miss anything or did I get the highlights there? No, you got the highlights. And, you know, as I said, we're doing an entire Voyager show uh, next month, this season, later this season, uh, where we can talk about more to do with that and with the plot and everything. Uh, I, I don't know what you're going to say, Ken, though. I have an idea. Um, and I know uh, Dan will have ideas. What I will say is this. The, there's a little division in what people think about, you know, fans think of the Borg in Enterprise. Uh, I'm sorry, in Voyager. 
But that was the reason that critic said in that regeneration episode, the Borg are scary again. Look, like you said, six episodes for the next generation and 23 for Voyager. There's an episode drone. Sorry, listeners. It's not. I, I kind of find it humorously one of the humorous episodes of Star Trek, and it's not supposed to be. I'll put it that way. Voyager has some Star Trek gold in there, and that includes some Borg episodes where you find the Raven is a great one. You know, Seven is a Borg and probably one of the most. And we're going to if if legacy happens, we're going to get her again. And of course, you know, we all know how they played in uh, Picard later. But in Voyager, you know, they were very important. They were in the Delta Quadrant to give their like they're overdoing the board. But to be to give credit where credit is due for the first three years of Voyager, there were no board because they were way too far from the board. So when they finally got there in Scorpion, we got one of the best episodes, uh, Borg episodes there are of Star Trek. So, yes, I do believe they were a little overplayed in Voyager, but it all led somewhere, and there is some really great Borg episodes in Star, in Star Trek. And, and the honorable mention is uh, Unimatrix Zero, parts one and two, excellent Borg episodes. Um, exciting stuff, if, uh, especially if you're a fan of the Queen. Uh, by the way, I know Susanna Thompson uh, took over the role from Alice Krieger until Endgame, where Alice Krieger came back. I thought she was wonderful. Um, there, it's like the Borg Queens is sort of like Bonds. You know, which ones you know do you love? But they all do their own wonderful thing with it. Also, the late actress was very sad that played her in uh, in Picard season two. Um, but I'm getting a little all over the place, and I'll just end it by saying I understand the division. I understand how it kind of became like, here's the Voyager episode in which a Borg delivers a pizza. I get that. But there is some excellent episodes in there. There are still those, those terrifying Borgs in there. And, of course, it's how they got home in Endgame, you know. And Janeway's uh, – I'll be, I'll be done one second there. Um, Janeway's um, – regard as an admiral is to get in there and how she damaged the collective. And the way that we saw them is that Janeway very much is the captain that, that put the most damage in the collective uh, so that we can uh, defeat them or try to. Now, if the Borg delivered a deep crust Chicago style, that would still be terrifying though. Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> well, it would be almost like, you know, deep tip, deep dish crust with a topping of, you know, nan nanites. I mean, oh yeah. You know, Something that, that might be easy, going. you know, yeah, might be something easy to eat, but you're not going to like what happens to you afterwards. Like with And not complain places. if they're late on delivery. Yeah, yeah. No, well, they never could be late on delivery. They, you know, time travel. And uh, so, and now just real quick, just so I, it's not mysterious anymore, not the biggest fan of the Borg's appearances on Voyager. Um, something about, I, I was never the biggest Voyager fan. I felt that it started getting a little soap opera-ish. Um, I felt sometimes Enterprise had a little bit of that going on at times too. Th that that it just it, it seemed like it didn't have. I guess maybe I just wanted it to be you know more technical. You know, in a sense, it, it just seemed like it, it was it had more of that to it. I don't know. Some somehow it seemed simpler. It seemed like it was more formulaic in a way when they're doing stuff. I kind of got the impression when I was watching Voyager, which 
I, I doubt that it's how it could be, but the way it appeared to me was they would have a bunch of episodes. It would kind of start like losing me a little bit. I wasn't as interested in the last few episodes and Hey, to punch it up, here's a Borg episode. And then they'd have a few episodes and it would kind of drag off a little bit and it would start going on stuff that almost you didn't care about. Hey, here's another Borg episode. It, it was almost like they were doing these hills and valleys where their peak was Borg episode. Hey, we know just put a Borg episode in there and it's going to get, you know, a, a lot of people to watch it. So we'll try a bunch of episodes that may or may not work. And then we'll put a Borg episode to get everything back to neutral again. And then we'll try again. And then another Borg episode. It's almost like they were using them to save stuff. And then, like Greg said, uh, uh, eventually some of these episodes were just, you know, what are the Borg up to now? And just the idea that, just like the writers had said, how many times can you put these guys in? They're supposed to be this invincible force. And you managed to figure out how to defeat them 23 times in a single series. So it doesn't sound like they're that great anymore. And it was just, like I said, this progressive weakening of the Borg. And I felt that Voyager was the biggest culprit in that, at least in beginning that and instrumenting that. And then, you know, even though I, I like the series, I have to say Picard kind of put a nail in that coffin in a way. Um just like Greg was saying, Janeway found a way to do a massive amount of damage to the Borg, and yeah. that leads over into Picard. Yeah, Greg? But let's not forget Picard Season 3. It gave me that feeling again when you saw them in Regeneration. And and Ken, I don't disagree with you. I, I'm, I am a Voyager fan. I will put that out there, and we're going to be doing the episode next month on Voyager. We, everybody could talk about well, how they feel about Voyager. I don't disagree or agree with people's view of them in Voyager, but I did get it. It was so everyone wanted to see the Borg. They were very popular, but then you found out what it was like to see them a little bit too much. And I completely get that. Um, but yes, Picard season three. Um, I mean, I kind of, you know, I kind of feel like I would love to see the Borg one more time in Pike's crew. However, you know, Pike to have a, uh, an, an encounter with them. However, that would have just, that would really just be a rehashing of regeneration. And I realized that, but uh, yeah, I, I would say overall, I, I don't think that Voyager ruined the Borg for me. I could still watch that go right back to Q who in the best of both worlds and be um, pleasantly terrified if you get my meaning. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I, I Voyager, should have, how do I say this, for lack of better terms, behaved itself with the Borg. <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. There you go. That's uh, that's a very, very adequate way to put it. Very, that that kind of you know wraps it up very nice in a little package. It's a good way to put it. Um, now, going on from here, we move on to the final installment. If we're not going to count apocryphal stuff, next set is what happens in Picard. And I think Picard was Picard was a really great series. It gave you a lot of what you were looking for. At the same time, parts of it felt like they were just giving you a lot of what you were looking for. It's just they they know people love the crew. They know that they love the individual character. They know there were specific things that they really liked. You know, there were there were a, a couple of really big questions that they had established through TNG and through Voyager that 
it's almost like they sat down and they said, all right, which one of these arcs are we going to do? And they said, well, you know, people seem to like data and androids and the whole generational generational thing with the Soong family and the whole idea of, you know, Guinan saying, you know, especially with the episode of measure of a man, Guinan saying that, you know, that artificial life has to be allowed to just evolve and mature on its own. You can't just make these things so that they can service you. You're talking about creating an entire existence, an entire race of slaves. And that was a very, very large theme that came about in Next Generation that was handled for the first season of Picard largely. And so a lot about artificial life and having that all involved. Then in the second season that you had the Borg and time travel. So that was, you know, another big thing, getting more of the crew back together, being involved with the Borg, but now a different version of them which is also a very interesting concept that's been proposed many times is that when you talk about the longevity of the Borg and how long they have existed, when you talk to Guinan, you know, the Borg have existed for hundreds of thousands, if not, you know, millions of years. And one idea is that the Borg in and of themselves are not specifically one version of a cybernetic or a cyborg type organism that has spread out through the galaxy and sought to assimilate anything, but it's basically a blanket term to any one of a group of these types of organization, organism, organizational structures that have existed, that there are like tides of Borg, that Borgs will rise and then they'll find some way that they're defeated and then a new version of them will arise. And that it's, it's always some type of threat that usually comes out of the Delta Quadrant that involves the mixing of, um, of artificial and biological life or technological and artificial life. And so we get to see a lot of that occurring in, in the second series where dealing a lot uh, with the Borg, again, Borg Queen, which is a, another idea of the origination of, you know, many people think, is there a kind of hierarchical structure where the Borg Queen is indeed in control of, say, a local area of Borg? Do you have one Borg Queen per, you know, so many sections of a quadrant? And then, or, you know, d does each area have its own Borg Queen, you know, a regional Borg Queen? Are they all clones of each other? Are they just different drones that through necessity are then elevated to the point of the Borg Queen because they found through Picard it's perhaps easier or a, a, an easier way to either negotiate or make the process of assimilation easier if certain cultures have a focal point to deal with. So the Borg figured out, all right, well, if we're going to start being more interested in the biological creatures, having a focal point for a lot of these individualistic, individualistic um, societies is important. Hence, they develop a Borg queen. So, you know, it was very, very interesting in that sense, seeing that same kind of conflict with them and then uh, allowing the doctor to then attempt to become another Borg queen to try and turn them down a different path which is also another way of sort of weakening and destroying what the Borg are. So it was just a, another way to bring that up and just 
you know, all, all the different ways people were involved with that. Dan? I would like to have them revisit it so that we could find out what became of Allison, what became of uh, Allison Pill is the actress, but uh, Agnes, Dr. Agnes Girardi. Yeah, that would be because she obviously, you know, she went along with them and she, you know, you don't know how successful she was, how much she did or didn't achieve what she was trying to do. Um, just the idea that, you know, when Q gets involved and uh, shows some of the crew, hey, you know, look, here's here's when you could have totally defeated the Borg. But look, you would have become this totally ridiculous, almost, you know, mirror universe type of society by using the Borg as your foothold to gain control you know, over the Federation in such a way that you know, you would b basically become your own enemy by destroying your worst enemy. And so in order to do that, you kind of have to find another way to negotiate. Again, going back to, you know, the Borg largely survived by assimilating. But if you if there could be some way that some kind of agreement could be reached, they shouldn't just be outright destroyed. And as they show later, they they, you know, become to be involved with the federation in a way and you know they work in tandem and then finally getting to that third season that last season of picard where they they do a fake out at the very end and you know everyone's you know expecting this great thing after the borg were all over season two and season three you never see them and you think well it's now it's time for the changelings and now it's time for another dominion war and the you know, Dominion are very much the lion's share of this season. And then just those last few, last couple of episodes, they just take a hard left turn into Borg territory. And they just, and now you get to see the culmination of the weakening of the Borg. This group of Borg are all but done. They have been weakened to the point. They have been basically defeated at this point. The Borg, what's left of the Borg Queen even mentions that they were left nowhere they could reach, that they could assimilate people and just starving on the edge of space. And then they finally found a conduit by how they could come back and, you know, become relevant and begin assimilating again. And not by even having to use a technological way to assimilate people by now using just internal biology, which now signaled an evolution for the Borg, which seemed inevitable. They would eventually learn if their technological way of assimilation can be defeated, then we're going we're gonna to adapt and they're going to find another way to assimilate, which is what the Borg do. They adapt. They add distinctive. And they say, they don't just say we'll add your biological distinctiveness. They say your technological and biological distinctiveness to our own. And this was them doing that half of it. You didn't really get to see a whole lot of it other than just taking people and assimilating them the way they usually do it. Now you got to see a different way. And there's a lot of ways that that was dealt with. You could you could make certain arguments about how certain themes were dealt with that they can be you know, stretched out to have, you know, politic symb uh, symbolism, um, you know, just in who was able to get assimilated and how and why and the ideas behind the disadvantages or advantages of being assimilated. But uh, I wanted to go around to everybody and see what they thought of the basic run through Picard. And then when you finally got to see that very end in, in the last season three, just the idea of, again, 
them sort of bringing back a certain amount of sympathy for what has happened to the board. So I want to start with Greg. Well, look, I am not. I enjoyed both uh, Picard season one and two. Um, let me digress and say that the only internet spoiler that I'll ever forgive was not a spoiler. It was a speculation from a guy. I, I don't know who he was. I don't remember. If I did, I would say because he might have been from a podcast. And he said on, uh, it was uh, Twitter at the time, and he said, there's no mystery here of who Jack Crusher is. Um, because I remember we were all thinking, at the beginning, well, the Borg are done. This is not going to be the Borg. And it's, wow, they brought the Dominion back. You know, the founders, obviously, um, renegade Dominion. And he said, I'm going to tell you what's going on with Jack Crusher. He is um, uh, has Borg in him from Locutus. Locutus still kept Borg, uh, you know, Picard had Borg, you know, nanoprobes in him. It carried on to his child. That's what's going on. And he said, he even he alluded to, I don't mean this as a spoiler. I mean this as a prediction. And Mark, that I predicted that this, that that happened. And, and when the red door came, which was, you know, toward the end, he goes, you're going to see the Borg behind that red door. And it is what happened. So I did feel a little bit. However, when I read that, I was like, oh, yes. I, I thought to myself, maybe not. But I'm like, if that is the case, which it probably is, that is going to be pretty cool. I'm going to be disappointed that I wasn't surprised, but that's going to be pretty cool. And damn it, the guy was right. But I was still able to have that first time watch finding out how even scarier they got where they didn't need to kidnap the people to assimilate them, but put put it to to, to assimilate the young in the transporter and that the assimilation was happening to them for quite some time. It was building up. The other thing that it did was just as you said at the beginning of the show, Ken, that yes, Picard was fan service, especially season three, but fan service done right because everyone was thinking it's, it went back to the DS nine factor that it didn't really have the Borg in it, but that a lot of people were saying, well, what if the Borg though did come along in at least one episode of the Dominion saga and that the Dominion and the Borg were trying to kind of um, uh, join forces to win. And there you had it. It was done in Picard. So I thought it was great. All right. So I guess season three doesn't need to be spoken of that. Uh, Picard certainly went out with a bang and it went out with bringing us the new character of Shaw, who is a damaged man from the Wolf 359, being in Wolf 359. Um, Legacy is probably going to happen. Michelle Hurd wants it to happen. You know, Raffi. Uh, the fans want it to happen. And I imagine what's happening right now is contract negotiations with Jerry Ryan. That's got to be what happened because she's basically going to be the star of the show. But uh, I liked Picard. I did like that we found this new collective. I thought it was interesting. It really was, the Borg were very secondary to that first season of Picard. And the uh, the fate of Hugh, again, was there for shock value. It was there for the, the um, you know, the, the sacrifice, again, that Picard made for Hugh. Hugh was returning the favor because Hugh was still a hero. He still was a hero's sacrifice. Um, it was really the Romulans. It was not the Borg uh, that were the main antagonists of season one. So I felt like they were used very well. Then go to season two. And uh, yeah, um, 
it, th this was, of course, uh, Hughes doing once again. Um, but I did like, you know, this, they, they kind of were able to go back to the, the a combination of First Contact and The Voyage Home, you know, with Picard season two, two uh, of the favorite Star Trek movies in one. That's, that's what we got with Picard season two. And yes, very interesting open-ended questions about the fate of Agnes Girardi and what's going to happen to the Borg, you know, in that sense. I think this really um, um, justified the theory about there's thousands upon thousands of Borg ship throughout time, throughout history. I don't know if they'll ever not be a threat, but they're a different kind of threat. And it is good to mix it up a bit. So I, I enjoyed that about two and, of course, three. Perfect. So that's that's my take on them in Picard. All right. I definitely agree with those takes. And I would like Holly to pipe on up and let us know about your impressions of the Borg in the Picard series. Oh, man. I mean, it, what Greg said, and I mean, just ominous enough. And, you know, towards the tail end with that ending in three, it almost makes me wonder if that certain someone at the end isn't going to try to pull something to kind of uh, return the favor as an apology for what he did way back when, when he first introduced us to the, <laughs> the Borg later on down the line, like, mm, I'll cut you guys a little bit of a break. We've had to deal with them for so long. Uh, the continuum is getting on me. We need to lower them a peg or two. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> All right. That's great. And now Dan, Let's have your insights as to the Borg in Picard. Well, I have to say that the way they got with uh, Dr. Girardi and the way the Borg queen was in her head and just, oh, it was, it was like a split personality type thing, and it was just awesome. But I loved the look of everything. I thought it was shot gorgeous. I thought the story was interesting, but I, I thought that the visuals were fantastic. The makeup was gorgeous. What they did with that Borg Queen, it, it was scary, but it was beautiful at the same time. And when you can when you can cross that line to where you've got scary and beautiful and like compelling and you don't want to turn away, but at the same time you're nervous, it's like, oh man, what's gonna happen? Uh, oh, wait a minute. And it's just like, oh my gosh. And, and that was the dumbest I've ever sounded, I think. But if you know what I mean, you know what I mean. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. It's and one of those so... hard to put into words things, but it's like, oh, my gosh. It's one of those you want to sit your friends down and have them watch it because you can't explain it in words. So, folks <laughs> who are listening, if you have not yet seen The Borg and Picard, sit down and watch it, and you'll get why I sound like a doofus talking about it. <laughs> All right. Now, moving on to our kind of final aspect in here. So going to admit, I don't really have experience in these final two subjects, but our two animated uh, intakes of the Borg in Lower Decks and in Prodigy, I know that they have been in a number of episodes. I really don't have experience with these seasons. I haven't seen any of Prodigy prodigy and i've only seen a few episodes of lower decks i'm still trying to figure out how to feel about lower decks not really sure where i should put it know that they're trying for comedy not sure that fits with star trek i think the comedy meant in star trek is good as an incidental thing between characters because it's funny because you know who they are 
not just being funny for funny's sake because it's a comedy. I don't know. I'm probably being a little too stodgy. It's always a great idea to take a property and try different things with it, but that doesn't always mean it's going to be a, a great thing that comes out. So I still haven't, you know, jury's still out on Lower Decks, and I just I haven't looked at Prodigy at all. Um, I see Dan's got some input on it. Of the two, I have to say I've watched every episode of Lower Decks. Some are more memorable than others, and I tried the first two or three episodes of Prodigy, and I was like, eh, it didn't interest me at all. It was completely foreign to me. Lower Decks feels like the humorous aspects of Star Trek. Lower Decks feels like if the trouble with Tribbles was its own series, if a piece of the action was its own series. It's The comedy is consistent, it's good, but the best thing about Lower Decks, and I know I'm going off on a Borgless tangent here, but the Lower Decks crossover with Strange New Worlds was some of the best Trek I think I've seen in years. But as far as the Borg in Lower Decks, it, it hasn't really jumped out at me. Uh, not the most memorable episodes. They've had a lot better episodes than anything that they've touched on with the Borg. All right. Um, Greg, anything to tell us about the animated episodes that have yeah. had the Borg in them? I'm, yes, I'm at a loss. I am. You know, it's funny because, you know, everybody knows that I was the jump start person of this podcast. So I think people are going to be surprised to say that, oh, well, even if Ken hasn't watched Prodigy, I'm sure Greg has. Well, the, the fact is, Prodigy, I've never seen one episode. Um, I am interested, and I am glad that it was saved. Um, and I was just kind of waiting, because what people don't know is what I'm doing now is this intermittent watch of Star Trek now, um, as far as the films, you know, we're kind of reviewing them here on this show. So we're I'm watching them as is there. But I started with the original series. I am now on the animated series. I did Star Trek continues, um, even though you see the animated series is canon. Um, but if one watched um, the animated series and then uh, uh, Star Trek continues, you, you don't have to worry about it. It'll completely still make sense. Um, so I'm on a rewatch. I'm up to the animated series. I planned to put Prodigy in there, at least give it a try. We all have to take into account, you know, I'm not one of those believers of, you know, you're not a fan if you don't like any everything or you're not a fan if you don't like this, you know, if you don't like this new track, you know. But Prodigy is aimed for uh, preteens. Uh, that's number one. It, it probably, it is beloved. I mean, the fans went on a wonderful campaign to bring it back. I, I, I must give it, you know, props for that. Uh, there are some fans that love it. And I know Janeway is a major part of it. And voiced by Kate Mulgrew and Chakotay is voiced by Robert Beltran. I'm looking forward to seeing it, but I have not. I don't know if that entire explanation was necessary, but let's go over to Lower Decks. Okay, I very much like Lower Decks. I like the aspect of that it could still be that Star Trek universe. I always wondered myself, what are the, you know, the little, not, you know, what about the, uh, you know, the kitchen assistant in, uh, in Enterprise? You know, what about Chef? You know, what is he up to, you know, while all this is going on? Or a janitor, you know, down on, on uh, V-Deck, you know? <laughs> so the Lower Decks gave that to us. Uh, our friend who is not here tonight, Dan Hulley, um, 
had uh, mentioned that Lower Decks is his favorite of the new Star Trek, and I could see why. First of all, it takes place after Voyager. It's, it takes place where everybody wanted Star Trek to take place. Um, I think it's a great way to show the universe. It doesn't have to be for everybody. But when we get to the Borg, um, I do agree with Dan. However, I have not seen, and then we get to my Lower Decks experience. It's coming, but I haven't gone beyond season two of Lower Decks. But I, I, I think I think what they've done with the Borg is quote-unquote cute. And I like that in the even in the beginning credits of Lower Decks, you you see them kind of veer away from a Borg ship. Go ahead, Dan, because I am done. I like the uh, simulation that Boimler has to go through and how rescuing the Borg babies raises his score. I think that's a great thing because it touches back to the Voyager stuff, whereas initially the Borg only assimilated your tech. Eventually you find that they, they want your organic stuff and your tech, and uh, rescuing the babies was a nice touch to kind of tie it all in together with the Voyager stuff. All right. And now and they were Holly. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly what I want to see. Cute Borg. <laughs> Holly. Um, oh, there well, is seven. What, do you, what do you got on this? Um, Prodigy, I've kind of made my way through like one and a half episodes. I'm going to have to try to give Prodigy another goal. I'm kind of with Greg, like, mm, not quite for me, but I'm going to try it, give it another goal. Lord X, love it. At first, I wasn't too sure what the comedy aspect, but it grows on you. Um, and I agree with Dan with the <laughs> Boimler through the, uh, I think it was a rigged um, test with them having to rescue the Borg babies. That was just pure, pure genius. And tying back into Voyager. Yeah, that uh, that's great. And I also one thing I always liked, you know, I do have to admit, is just the idea that the show is named Lower Decks, and there was an there was a Next Generation episode. I believe it was called Lower Decks. And that's exactly what it was, was it was a bunch of, you know, ensigns or, you know, beginning level crewmen. Yeah. You're, you're correct, Ken. Stuff. It was, Yeah, I'm so sorry. It was named after that episode. I just did, I did want to. Yeah, no, it was, I, I mean, that's what I, I appreciated that. I appreciated that they, you know, showed you, you know, this side of it. Um, I'm still trying to get used to, used to it. I mean, I'm watching it. I know the first few episodes I'm thinking in my head, I was like, all right, it's, it's Star Trek, but it's Rick and Morty. And then I'm like, wait a minute, it's not as irreverent as Rick and Morty, but kind of. And the animation sort of looks the same, but no, now it looks different. And and now is it trying? Is it trying to be Gravity Falls? Like, I, like I, I couldn't, like I can't wrap my head around it. Yeah, Dan. Do you think that for folks who have watched Rick and Morty, it becomes more Rick and Morty-ish for them? Because I have never seen a single episode of Rick and Morty. I went in hearing that it was the guy who created that and thinking, well, maybe I should watch some of that. But I never bothered. I was like, eh, I don't know. It's a writer producer for Rick and Morty. It wasn't created by the creators of Rick and Morty. All right. And so that that's basically where I stand with a lot of that stuff in the uh, the Borg in the animated stuff, just because, you know, hadn't really presented me with uh, something that I paid a lot of attention to. But I'm glad you guys were able to, you know, straighten some of that out. And yet I did I did kind of like that when when uh, Boimler and uh, I can't remember uh, what's what's the the other uh, the other character's name Mariner yeah 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 where Boimler and Mariner came into <laughs> yeah, live Beckett action Mariner. I thought that was great 
you know, it was kind of fun. They kept his purple hair. You know, that was that was that was a fun thing to see. Um, But uh, so that, ladies and gentlemen, basically wraps up our overview of the Borg specifically did not include video games or you know fan made shorts or books or comics a lot of that stuff is not canon anyway and any one of those subjects could be an entire 2 to 3 hour talk in and of itself so just covering over the tv and movie appearances of the borg that's where we stand with that again such a great groundbreaking villain or antagonist to be seen in the Star Trek series, they don't come up very often. And at the time when they were doing Next Generation, they were looking for someone to be that memorable enemy. First, it was the Ferengi, and people didn't react to them too well. There was talk of having those little parasitic uh, six-legged beings that crawl in your mouth and stick a fin out the, out the back of your neck. The ones that infiltrated Starfleet all the way to the top. There was talks about having them be a main antagonist or having them somehow be involved with the Borg as well. Nothing ever happened with that either. And then for some reason they introduced the Borg and that just took off. So it was really great to be able to get through that and to, you know, speak about this subject because it is very, very covered and I can't imagine it going away anytime soon. It it will be mentioned over and over again in Star Trek, in memoriam, even if it's just to reference back to, hey, remember what happened in the 2300s? That was crazy, wasn't it? You know, so uh, great, great uh, enemy, great character for a great series. Great idea that they leave everything so open-ended. Some of the greatest things about a character is the mysteries that they have. And that's something that the Borg definitely were constructed to have, is many mysteries about them, which gives you fertile ground for further story. So hopefully as we go ahead, we will see the Borg show up again in more stories, but not too much. So I wanted to thank everybody for listening to us tonight. We had a really great time bringing this to you guys. I wanted to thank Julian for his introduction at the beginning of the episode. And here's a great kickoff to season two. Thanks a lot, guys. Have a great night. I turn the con over to Admiral Varov. Well, thank you, Captain Radner. That is the best way to open a season. Thank you so much for giving us a killer open to season two. I first want to ask Holly, our guest uh, and idea maker of this episode. Holly, where could folks find you when you're not talking about the board? Well, you can find me as one-fifth of the Five-ish Fangirls podcast. You can find us at the fiveishfangirls.com and on Facebook. And you can find me personally at hollymac underscore 79 on X slash Twitter or hollymac 79 on Blue Sky. Thank you so much for being here and we'll see you again. Okay, what I decided to do to give you the information on donations is read and improvise at the same time. So whatever happens, happens. So folks, this podcast isn't exactly free of, 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 of financial um, responsibilities for the team. But guess what? We now have donations, but that's because we qualify for them. We didn't make them. Our server told us you can now take donations. And great people like Holly McMiller and Robert Youngren have become donors slash sponsors. So what's going to happen if you donate? You might be sitting there going, who are you, Zach Braff? 
asking up for asking us for money when you can, you know, when he can afford to make a film. No, donations is just so that we can keep the lights on, folks, and technically bring you a great show. But also, as we get donors, we are offering donor-only episodes. We are offering, you know, the usual stuff, the mugs, the T-shirts, that kind of thing. But also, can you imagine if listeners and us can gather for a Star Trek party? All these kinds of things. It is only a dollar a month. $5 a month or $10 a month. Anywhere you find our podcast in the liner notes, uh, Spotify, for example, it'll give you the uh, link where you go donate to this podcast. Click that link and take you. You could, for only a dollar a month, be involved and you would be treated the, exactly the same way you would be for $10 a month. Of course, we would say, give us $10, give us $5, give us $1, and that's it. There ain't no more. It's no more than $10 a month. What is that really? So that you can be a part of the Star Trek, the Undiscovered Podcast family and help keep this show on the air. We're going full PBS here and help bring us even better shows to you, possibly even more VIP guests, as well as give you donor only episodes. It's a really th fun thing. And we want to thank our donors so far. Guys, how did I do with that? I read and improvised at the same time. What'd you guys think? Oh, not too bad. Yay. That was great. <laughs> they call that in the profession rimprovising. That's exactly right. So, thank you so much, Ken. That was amazing. Thank you again for this killer opening to season two. But enough about that. Where can you find our team members? Thank you to Ken for the great hosting tonight. Thank you to Dan and thank you to our guest, Holly McMiller. Next week, we have a full movie review of Star Trek 2009 directed by J.J. Abrams, and Kyle Bain will be back for our resident film critic back on the panel. Um, until then, where can you find the team? Well, I'm going to hand it back over to Dan Martin so he can tell you where we are all over the interwebs. Good night, everybody! Good night! Thank you for listening to Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast. Find our team members, Greg Vorob on Facebook, G-R-E-G-V-O-R-O-B on YouTube at Greg Vorob, with the G and V capitalized. On X at Greg underscore Vorob. You can also like Greg's acting page on Facebook. Daniel Hawley on Facebook, H-U-L-L-E-Y. And on X at Bland underscore Dull underscore Don't. Ken Radner on Facebook, K-E-N-R-A-D-N-E-R. -E -E and on X at Ken Data 2023 with the K and D capitalized. And me, Dan Martin, at Baseman Dan Martin 3700 on YouTube with the D and M capitalized. And you can also join me on WHMI.com weeknights 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern and Saturday afternoons 3 to 7 Eastern. Livingston County Zone Classic Hits. Find this podcast on Facebook at the groups Star Trek Fans United and Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast. Like us on Facebook at Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast. On X at STTU Podcast. Or shoot us an email to sttupodcast at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to check out our extended family of podcasts, The Five-ish Fangirls, Happiness in Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, 
Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast, Bullshit Hour with John Seymour, and the Hour of Comics is upon us. Find them all wherever you get podcasts. Thank you once again for listening to Star Trek The Undiscovered Podcast, and until next time, live long and prosper. Thank <laughs> you.